0: Welcome to the weekly Beach Church message podcast. We're continuing to journey through the scriptures on our road trip this summer. We're in Ephesians chapter 5 this week. We believe here at Beach Church that God wants to speak to you directly through the scriptures. And so that's why this whole summer has been about us getting into his word. If you want to keep this going, there are a couple of ways we would encourage you. One is through Starting Point. Starting Point is a group of people that meet together to get the basics of what it means to follow Jesus. One of those being how to read your Bible. And so we encourage you jump into the next Starting Point. It starts the first Sunday in September. You can go to todayatbeach.com. sign up for that. The other way is you might want to jump in really deep and get into what we call Bible track. Bible track is going to start on September 12th, and it's going to journey through the entirety of the New Testament. So two great ways to keep journeying through the scriptures. Go to todayatbeach.com to sign up for those. And now let's jump into Ephesians chapter 5.
1: Hey everyone, welcome to Beach Church. My name is Ryan, I'm the student pastor here at Beach. And we are gonna get right into the works. We got a lot to talk about. Ephesians chapter five, if you've got a Bible, open it up. If you've got a Bible app, open it up. If you've got notes, pull out a pen and uh, get ready to take some notes. We are going to uh, start By kind of continuing what Pastor Emmanuel talked about last week, because when the Bible was written um, and put together, there were not uh, necessarily chapters and verses. And so the section we are in, beginning chapter 5, is a continuation of the section that Pastor Emmanuel was was teaching on last week about Christian living and living like Jesus. And then the second part, or really like the last quarter of the sermon, we're going to take a hard right into talking about marriage, because that's what Paul talks about in the next section. And so we're going to start in verse one, and uh, you can just follow along in your Bibles. Follow God's example. Everybody say example. Everybody say example. 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 Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children, remember, children generally become like their father or their mother. They, they grow up a lot of times to be like the one that parents them. And so we, in the same way as God's children are supposed to be like our heavenly father. In order to do that, he gives us the next line. He says, and walk in the way of love. Everybody say walk. 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 It, it, it requires intentionality. You have to stand up. You have to think about where you're going. And I know it's kind of second nature, but you actually have to go in that direction. And, and, and so walking out love is a lot different than just talking about love. It's a lot different than just knowing scripture about love. It's a lot different than just hearing a sermon about love. You actually have to live it out. You have to make the choice, the decision to live in that agape love that Jesus teaches about. But that, that, that Greek word that is translated into walk also has the connotation of making use of your opportunities. And so as you go through life, as you go to work, and as you drive and as you go to school and restaurants and vacations, we are called to walk out love, to see opportunities all around us, not just at church, not just on Sundays, not just with our family, but to walk out and have a lifestyle of love. And Paul tells us what that love looks like in the next line. He says, just as Christ loved us. So that's how our love should look, just as Christ loved us. But he goes further, he says, Here's how he loves us. He gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Make no mistake, the the, the scripture is very clear. Jesus was not defeated by the Roman authorities. Jesus was not defeated by um, religious teachers and Pharisees. He gave himself up willingly, willingly, willingly. At any moment, he could have called down the forces of heaven And saved himself, but he gave himself up. He sacrificed himself. Everybody say sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice. Love requires sacrifice. In fact, agape love, Jesus' version of love, is not really love until you have to sacrifice something. It's putting the other person first. Even think about like a really small example of love. Like if you hold the door open for someone, what are you literally doing? You're saying, I will go second, you go first. I will I will take a little bit of extra time, you save some time. I will hold the door. I'll hold this 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 door instead of making you hold it, and you just walk on through. Very, very small example. But you are literally sacrificing something, even if it's Tiny, but we all know that, that love's not really tested until you have to sacrifice something. It's easy to love your friend when your team's winning and you're at the football game and you're high five and you're drinking beer and everything's great and, and you got money in the bank and all that kind of stuff. But what about when your friend gets sick? What about when someone uh, loses someone that they love? What about when someone loses a job? What about when, when, when it's difficult to love that other person? When you actually have to sacrifice something. That's when love is proven. That's when, when love really is love, is when we have to sacrifice. It's putting other people first. When you give money to someone, what are you doing? You're taking money out of your bank account, and you're putting it into theirs. You are losing that resource, and they are gaining that resource. It is a sacrifice. When you give time to someone, you are literally taking your time, your schedule, and you're saying, I will sacrifice what I want, and I'm going to give this time over to someone else. Love, love requires sacrifice. I can think of no better picture of this than parenting. How many of you are parents? Raise your hand. All right. And so some of you, 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 your kids were little a long, long time ago, but you remember, you remember. And then some of you got little kids right now, but especially when they're little, love requires sacrifice. We see the sacrifice of love in a parent. And perhaps, perhaps that's part of the picture of God. He is our heavenly father. He loves his children and he sacrifices for his children. When you have a young child, you sacrifice so much. You sacrifice money, you sacrifice time, you sacrifice preferences, you sacrifice freedom. Like like everything changes. You come home and, and, and you, have to, you have to wipe their bottom and sometimes their back and all the way up to their neck and I don't know how it gets everywhere it gets but you just gotta wipe them all down and they're covered in candy and they're just covered in sand at the beach and I... I I refuse to go to the beach at this point almost because I'm just like, I hate sand on my kids. And then they're miserable and then they're taking off their diapers and like, oh, this is gonna be, and there's sand everywhere and they pee everywhere and it's just it's just gross. And I'm just like, ah, it's just, it's a sacrifice because if they wanna go to the beach, I've got to sacrifice, right? And, and there is such a sacrifice to having children. like, Like you come home from work, but you don't rest. You just go to your, Second, more hard job. Like you go to the job that's really difficult. Someday, like I used to love three-day weekends. Now I'm like, please, no, please let me go to work. I would, uh, and sometimes people are like, oh, you went on vacation? I'm like, no, 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 this wasn't vacation. My kids were there. It was a trip. It was a trip that cost more money and was more stressful. I mean, it's great. We know, we, I love my kids. I love them, they're a blessing. But like, it's a sacrifice, isn't it? We know. If you're a parent, you know. You, you have to do so much for them. You get home. And your time is not your own. You got to clean. You got to bathe them. And some, I get home and it's just like, how fast can we get through this? How quickly can we get them bathed? Can we get them to eat? Can we get them bathed again after they eat? Can we put them in PJs? Can we give them whatever they need, brush their teeth, rock them and get them to bed? And, and I never knew. I never knew when I was younger how beautiful the hours between 8.30 and 10.30 could be. I, I just didn't understand it. You don't really understand until you got to sacrifice for your kids. Like those two hours are like a full vacation every single night. It's amazing. Like I'm just like, wow, we can watch a 30 minute episode of TV. Oh, this is, this is incredible. And sometimes I talk, I work with a lot of young adults uh, with the student ministry and like college kids that work with our students. And sometimes they'll be like, yeah, man, just so busy right now. I'm like, oh, really? Tell me more. Tell me about your busy schedule. Well, you know, I'm working, you know, I'm working, I'm working full time, 40 hours a week. Wow. What do you do when you get home? Well, you know I, I kind of just sometimes I, I, I want to do what want? what do you mean want you you, you you get to do what you want. this is incredible. When you have a baby, you sacrifice what you want. you get home and you just do whatever they want, and then you do whatever they want until you knock them out, hopefully by sleeping and um, and then and then they go to sleep and then and then you can relax a little bit. Love requires sacrifice. it is hard, it is hard, and we see it. In a parent, and their child, we see it in our heavenly father sacrificing for his His children. Verse three, but among you, there must not even be a hint. Everybody say hint, hint, hint. That's small. We'll come back to that. A hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. So we're supposed to walk in the way of love. We're supposed to walk and follow God's example we're supposed to love and sacrifice for others. And we're not supposed to have a hint of sin in our life. Now, of course, there's going to be sin in our life, but he's, he's speaking to our example. Our example matters. Look at the next verse. He says, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Paul's gonna continue going into this idea that our example matters. Matters. Now don't get it twisted. Our example doesn't earn salvation. It is by grace we have been saved, not through works so that no one can boast. We are not saved by our works, by our example. However, our example can point others to salvation. The way you live is sometimes the only Jesus people see in their lives. And, And we know as Jesus followers, we follow Christ, not Christians. But an unbelieving world doesn't have that same opinion. They look at pastors, they look at the Christians in their life, and they say, well, they live that way, so, you know, I guess it's okay. Or or I'm not really interested in church because a pastor did this, or my parent did this, or or a friend that's a Jesus follower did this, and I'm just not buying into it. Our example matters. Now, let's get back to that hint. As I was reading that, I, I was just reminded of another conversation between Jesus and his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. That they get into a boat and they forgot bread. And, um, and, and then he says this interesting line. He's like, hey guys, don't allow the yeast of the Pharisees into your life. And they're like, oh, he's talking about the bread. We forgot the bread. We forgot the loaf of bread. But he's like, no, 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 I'm not talking about bread. It's not about bread. It's not about bread. I'm talking about the way the Pharisees live, the way the teachers of the law live. That yeast, that yeast, it may be small, But if you allow it into your life, he's talking to his followers, his his disciples. If you allow it into your life, it will undermine your example and the church movement that I'm trying to, to establish on earth. And so, so you've got to watch out for that yeast and it may seem small and it may happen just a little bit at a time. But those hints of sin, those hints of immorality and greed can undermine our entire example. A few chapters later in Matthew 23, He's talking to them about the Pharisees and he says, you should listen to the teachers of the law. You should listen to them because they sit in Moses' seat. They know the law. Listen to what they say, whoo, but don't do what they do because they do not practice what they preach. He's saying, don't follow their example. Don't follow their example. Follow what they say, but not what they do. Our example matters. We don't want people to look at Jesus followers and be like, I mean, I kind of believe in the Jesus thing and the teachings, but man, I don't, I don't know about about the way they live. Well I, well, I saw a pastor that did this, or I saw, I saw, I had a grandparent that was a Christian that did this or, or whatever. And, and they, and they will, they will allow the example of other people to undermine Jesus in their lives. Is it fair? No. But that's the situation that we are in as Jesus followers. We have to live like Jesus. We have to be careful. We have to not allow even a hint, the yeast of the Pharisees into our lives. We've got to be careful with our example, with our example, because a little, a little can cause a major problem. Verse five for this you can be sure no immoral impure or greedy person such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God now there's a few verses like this in the epistles which are the, the letters in the in the second part of the new testament um, and they can seem a little confusing because it's like i mean we're all greedy we're all impure we're all immoral we we're all sinful so so do we not have any 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 chance like i i, th- I thought i thought I I thought we were saved through Jesus. Here's, Here's what we've got to understand about verses like this. We are judged and defined by our actions unless, unless we are in Christ. We are judged and defined by our actions unless we are in Christ. So in the end, if you are a liar, greedy, selfish, prideful, immoral, which we all are at some points of our lives, throughout our lives, and you don't know Jesus, you are defined by what you've done. But if you are in Christ, the Bible says that God chooses not to look at our sin. He doesn't forget about it, he's not stupid. He chooses not to look at our sin. And instead he sees the righteousness of Jesus, the righteousness that we did not earn, that we could not get, but that we get through grace, not through what we've done, so that no one can boast. And so let that, be, let that be an encouragement and a warning. Without Jesus, we're judged by what we do, and it's not good news. But in Jesus, we are not judged by what we do. We are not seen as sinners. We are seen as holy and righteous through the sacrifice, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, of Jesus. Verse 16, I'm sorry, verse six. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be Partners with them. Do not be partners with them. Now these kind of verses are also confusing. Do not be partners with them. So don't be partners with people that don't follow Jesus. But I thought we're called to go to the world. I thought we are called to spread the gospel to every corner of the the earth. I thought we are called to reach out to an unbelieving world and share the gospel with them. So, so how do we how do we figure this 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 this, this tough question out? Like how do we toe the line between Being being among the world and sharing the love of Jesus with the world, being friends with unbelievers and not being partners with them. How how does this work? How does this work? It's important to look at the word partners. In the original Greek, uh, another definition could be partakers. Partakers, meaning you do what they do. So you want to figure out how to draw that line? Here's how to figure it out. Who is influencing who? Who is influencing who? Ask yourself the question. When it comes to towing that line between being around unbelievers and and, and sharing the gospel, but then not being partners with them, you've got to ask who is influencing who? If you are partaking, you've got to run. You've got to flee. You've got to get away from that lifestyle. And sometimes, sometimes it's just for a certain amount of time in your life for a season, as, as Christians like to say. It might be for a few months or a few years that you can't hang around those kind of people. You can't be around those kind of people. And here's what you don't do, because this is, this is the worst thing. Hey, man, I'm a Christian. I can't hang out with you. You're not. Don't do that. Don't do that. We, we got enough condescending Christians in the world. Don't do that. And don't, don't come across that way. All you got to do is you draw some personal boundaries that you adhere to quietly. Hey, I'm just... I'm not going to hang out with that group. I know in my head, I'm not going to hang out with that group on a Friday night. I hang out with them the whole rest of the week. I'm still friends with them, but I'm not going to hang out with them there because I become a partaker because they influence me. I'm not going to hang out with them in this environment. At their house, sure, I'm good, but maybe at that, that establishment, that restaurant, that bar, I, I just can't do it, or that football game. It's just, it doesn't work for me because I become a partaker because I allow them to influence me. I mean, look at Jesus. He was called a friend of sinners, He was criticized for who he hung out with. They called him a glutton because he hung out at feasts and they called him um, a, a, a drunk because he hung out at parties. But Jesus, Jesus did not partake. He was never influenced. He didn't talk like the sinners. He didn't cheat people like the tax collectors. He didn't sleep with the prostitutes. He was an influencer. He brought the love of himself, of God, everywhere he went. Peace, joy, encouragement, hope into every single place. He brought light into darkness. He did not partake. He was not influenced. He was the influencer. And so if you are the influencer, keep on going. Keep on trucking. Be that light everywhere you go. But if you're being influenced, you need to draw a boundary. And you don't have to tell anybody, everybody about it. You ain't got to post about it on Facebook or Instagram. Well, you know, now I'm not doing it. Don't stop. Just, Just do it. Just live it out because it is between you and God and you've got to understand where your line is. We, we see this in, in verses eight through, through 14. It kind of continues talking about this example and, 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 and how we're influenced and are we influencing others. It says, you were once darkness. Listen to this. You weren't in darkness, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. You're not in the light, you are the light of the Lord. So live as children of light. Your example matters. Live as children of light. Live as children of light. Don't, don't partake in what the world is doing. Watch out for even a hint of sin in your life. Live as children of light for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Seek out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated by it becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. All of that is continually talking about our example, about how we live. Are we bringing light or are we bringing darkness? Are we being the influencer or are we being influenced? And with that that whole idea in mind, let's look at verses 15 through 17. Be very careful then. Notice that then is pointing back to what he was just saying. Because of all that, be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I've preached entire sermon series on these three verses because it's, 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 these three verses inspired my favorite book, one of my favorite books that I've ever read. I read it when I was 20 years old. It's, it's a book called Ask It by Andy Stanley. If you've never heard of it or never read it, go get it, get it on Amazon or something right now. You can check out of the sermon. Go, go order the book. You'll, you'll thank me later. It is an amazing book. It used to be called The Best Question Ever, and it's all based on this important question. What's the wise thing to do? Not what is legal. That, that's, a, that's an iffy line. Not what will I get caught with. Not what will I pay the consequences for. Not what do my friends do or my family do or the people around me or culture or social media. What is wise? What is wise? And yes, if you ask that question, you will live a life with fewer regrets, a life with more abundance, better relationships. You will live into what God has for you because his ways lead to to freedom and life and abundance. They are not easy, but they are best. And you will get all that. Yes, yes. However, in the context that he's talking about here, he's saying, you ask yourself this question so that you can be an example to the people around you, so that you will be a light in a dark world. What's the wise thing to do? You can ask yourself in every single situation, what's the wise thing to do? Verse 18, verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery or sin. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Now, this is very important. It's verse 18, talking about not drinking or not being drunk. Sure, but we know that from a whole lot of other verses, that we should not be influenced, that we should not be, be, be overtaken by wine, that we should not be drunk, that we should, not, uh, that we should do everything in, in, in moderation, that we, we should not be stumbling blocks for other people, all that kind of stuff. We know that. There's plenty of verses about not being drunk. Is this verse talking primarily about being drunk. No, he is making a comparison. This is a, a metaphor. He's saying, in the same way that so many people get drunk on wine, which by the way, leads to sin, you instead should be filled with the Spirit. Now, most wine in the day that Jesus taught in in the, in the first century in Israel was very, very low alcohol content. So, instead, so in order to be drunk on it, you had to try really hard. It's like in college when you drank like Natty Light, and it was like 1% alcohol, and you're just like, ah, I just got to chug it all day in order to feel anything. He, he's like, it takes effort to get drunk on this stuff. You got to try hard. In that same way that you effort to have a feeling come over you from a substance, you should effort and pray for and be filled with the Holy Spirit of God. In that same vein of being under the influence of a substance, you should be under the influence of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to sin. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So, drunkenness leads to debauchery. What does the Spirit lead to? He shares in 19 and 20, leads to speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the heart. I'm, I'm sorry, songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, being drunk leads into regret and sin. But being filled with the Spirit leads to worship, leads to being like Jesus, leads to encouragement, thankfulness, gratitude for our Heavenly Father. Think about it this way. You know how when you drink too much, I'm sure none of you have ever drank too much, but uh, like I know, I, I know I've heard about it. No, I'm just kidding. I've been drunk before. I, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that. Anyway, so um, like, like you know how when drinks, they, they, they start to impact you and you start to feel a certain way. You start to do things, say things, act in ways that you would never act like if you were sober, Right? I mean, that's why people do it. They're like, oh, I'll be someone I'm not. I'm the life of the party, all that kind of stuff, right? They're they are, they are trying to feel a certain way so that they can do things they might not usually do. But a lot of times, most of the time, that leads to massive amounts of regret, pain, for you and for the people around you. He says, in the same way that when you're under the influence of alcohol, you do some, some, some really unwise, stupid things, when you are under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you do a lot of things you wouldn't do in your flesh. You're more generous. You're more encouraging. You're more loving. You serve in a way you would never serve otherwise. You talk in a way that you wouldn't talk otherwise. You behave in a way you wouldn't behave otherwise. But instead of it bringing pain, regret, it brings life, abundance, joy, peace. These are the things that happen when we are filled with the Spirit, when we are under the influence of the Spirit. I bet you didn't know that Paul, Paul wrote like this, but he's literally telling you to be drunk on the Holy Spirit, to be under the influence, to be filled constantly with the Holy Spirit because when we do that, it changes the way we live. We cannot do this thing on our own. You can't just, you know, obey Christ on your own. You have to have the Holy Spirit moving through you. It's the only way to be like Jesus, to be examples in this World. Now, we're going to go to a totally different subject. In a way, we're gonna we're still talking about instructions for Christian living, but now we're going to talk about marriage. But before we get to the marriage part and the genders and all the roles and all that kind of stuff that everybody in 2022 hates, um, let's look at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's no gender on this. There's no age on this. There's no experience level on this. There's no uh, financial status on this. There's no how much power do you have on this. It is for all Jesus followers. Submit to one another. Honor one another. Put others first. Submit yourself to everyone else, not because they're better than you, but because you are reverent for Jesus. So let's not forget that verse. Sometimes we just skip over that. It's like, well, this is what it says for women. No, no, no. Here's what it says for all people, okay? All people. All right, now, now let's get into the, the marriage application of this. I'm going to read through it, and then we'll talk about it. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Here's the part that, that a lot of times we ignore especially the guys. Husbands, love your wives. Yeah, I love my wife. (laughs) Sure, okay. Listen, you want to know how to love your wife? Love her just as Christ loved the church. You need a reminder of what that looks like? Here we go. He gave himself up for her. He died for her. He sacrificed for her. He gave up everything for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the, the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself, talking about the church, of course, to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, men, in this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body but they feed their body, they care for their body, they rest, they, 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 they exercise, they do things to take care of themselves, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of this body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. So, so now he's kind of sharing how the metaphor is relating to Christ and the church, but then he goes back to marriage and he says, however, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. The wife must respect her husband. So um, when, when I first got married, or right before Karen and I got married, um, we went to premarital counseling, and we had a, you know, a stack of books that were uh, recommended for us. And one of them that we read was a book called Love and Respect, Love and Respect, Love and Respect, based fully on this one last verse in 33. Love and Respect, Love and Respect. And it's by a guy named Dr. Emerson Egericks. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Dr. Emerson Egericks. And... Um, It's an incredible book, all based around this one verse. And back when I read it, right before we got married, I was like, this all seems like great, great accurate um, uh, wisdom and and teaching from God. But this week I was kind of like skimming through it to prepare for this message. And I was reading it again. It's the first time I've read it in seven years. And I was like, oh my goodness. This book is like a fortune teller for marriage. Like every single argument we've ever been in could have been prevented by just listening to this book. Every single thing I've done wrong could have been prevented by just listening to this book, which is based again on the good book, the Holy Bible that, that is given to us from God. The, the wife, the wife must respect the husband. The, the husband must love his wife as he loves himself or as Christ loves the church, as Christ loves the church. Now, I know, I know what you're thinking. Well, don't, don't, don't men need love? Don't women need respect? Of course, of course, of course we do. However, however, God has created us, as men and women, to desire love in different ways. There are certain ways that people can love us that are more impactful upon us. Men, in general, desire respect, honor. Women, in general, desire to be loved to be valued. And You might be like, well, what about Aretha Franklin? She said, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Well, did you know she didn't write the song? A man did, to his wife, Otis Redding, wrote the, book, wrote the song two years before that, and she covered it. Because men, in their souls, desire respect. So let's talk about that respect for a little bit. Men want respect. They want to be recognized for their success. They want to be encouraged. Like when, I, when, when, when I'm at home, before my wife gets home on like a weekday, Sometimes I'm, I'm a good husband and I like wash the dishes, and you should see me. She always makes fun of me because I deserve it. But like, you should see me when she gets home. I'm like up on the counter. I'm just like, "Hey, babe, see that? See that sink? It's empty." And she's like, "Oh, you did the dishes? I'm like, yeah. Took me 15 minutes. That's how much I love you." She's like, "Great." Great job, but there's something in me, and I know it's stupid, even as I do it. I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. I just did the dishes, but there's something in me as a man that just desires recognition. I'll mow our lawn, and our lawn is just mostly weeds, but sometimes in the summer when it rains enough, it turns green, and if I cut it short and edge it up, it looks kind of nice, and I'll get done. I'll be like, honey, come to the front door. Come here, come here. Look at those lines. Woo! Look at those, look at those weeds, but they're cut short, and they look good. Aren't I awesome? Ah, don't you love me? Don't I take care of you? There's something in us, men, that is looking for respect, looking for respect. But often, often we live in this world, like, have you seen the sitcoms? Like, I I know sitcoms don't really exist anymore, but like they used to in the 90s. And like, and it's like these bumbling fools of husbands that are just like, they don't do anything. They don't know anything. They're absolute more. It's like, everybody loves Raymond. He's like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. And the wife just makes fun of him all the time. And a lot of times that's what the world Portrays and gives to us, but that is not what will bring your husband alive and make him the man that God made him to be. You know what will make that happen? Respect, honor, submission, because that's just what he was made for. What communicates that? I mean, encouragement, recognition. There are times where where, where, where Karen will just randomly say, "You know, Ryan, thanks for thanks for thanks for protecting." I said, "I'm like, that's right." <laughs> I'm like Sir Ryan the Great, like, I, like a knight in shining armor. I've never been in a fist fight in my life, but I'm like, that's right. I do protect my girls, you know. I'm a man. I'm a man. I'm strong. I'm secure. I'll protect you. But there's something about her saying those few words to me that makes me want to be that for my family. Now let's look at the love part. Because, I mean, this is, this is, uh, we, you want to talk about submission, like love. What we are called to do, men, is just incredibly difficult, but it's so, so, so important. Women want to feel loved. They want to feel valued. They want to know they matter. And even though men don't necessarily kind of speak the same love language, we've got to understand that we've got to give love to our wives. Look at verse 25. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and sacrifice yourself for them. Verse 28. Love your wife as your own body. Remember, the two became one flesh. They are not your ally. They are not your friend. They are not your co-pilot. They are one with you. So love them as you love yourself. After all, people care for their own body. They feed their own body. And you may be saying, well, I know what my body wants because my mind tells me and my stomach tells me and I just know when I need a rest and I know how to take care of my body. Did you know it's possible to get to that place with your wife? If you'll be intimate, I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about intimate relationships where you listen, where you're in close proximity to your spouse. You can get to the point where you know what they need, know what they desire before they even say it, without them saying it. I'm far from the best husband ever, but there are times where I'm talking to, to Karen and I'm, I, I'm coming home and I'm like, oh, she's struggling. I, I hear the kids just like, ah! They're just going crazy in the background. I'm like, and I just know when I get home, I've just got to put both kids in bed. I just have to today. It doesn't have to be every day, but I have to do it today. Or I have to get a $5 thing of flowers from Walmart or something. I've got to do something because I can feel the tension. That doesn't happen right away. It didn't happen in my first year of marriage. I was like, what's wrong with you? But over time, I recognize it. And I, I start to learn what she's looking for. That's what it looks like to love your wife as yourself. What communicates love, men? Time. And I'm going to talk to myself here. Karen's in here. She knows. Attention. Attention. So often I'm looking at my phone. And she's like, did you hear what I said? And I'll, I'll repeat it back to her. She's like, it doesn't matter. Because I didn't communicate love. I communicated. I'm just looking at whatever I'm looking at, and that's more important. Men, time and attention. Acts of service. These are the things that communicate love. And I know that we desire respect. So sometimes like, well, I mean, shouldn't they desire respect? No, they're created differently. And they desire something different than you desire sometimes. And we've got to learn in love to submit ourselves to the way God created things. And part of that is, hey, I've got to love her the way she needs to be loved. And women, you've got to love your husband the way he needs to be loved. If you don't, we end up with this crazy cycle. And you can go, I mean, you can read the book, so I'm not going to spend much more time on it. But there's this crazy cycle that without love, she reacts without respect. Without respect, he reacts without love. And you just go on this crazy cycle. It's like a hurricane and you just lose everything. If you're, if you're married, you've been in this place before. But the bottom line is this. Wives, if you want to win over your husband, respect him. If you want to win him over. If you don't, you know, love them how you want to love them. Or say, I don't know, I'm I'm, I'm pushing back against this. What God's trying to do here is show us the way he created things and the way that leads to a healthy, energizing marriage. And husbands, if you want to win over your wife, love her. Sacrifice for her. Because here's the energizing cycle. His love motivates her respect. And her respect motivates his love. And then it gets in this beautiful cycle. And we've probably been there before at some time too, if you're married, where it's just like, oh my gosh, things are just, these, these things are just great. And here's the thing we gotta be willing to do, husband and wives, we've gotta be willing to give unconditional respect and unconditional love because your husband will not always deserve respect. I promise you that. I don't always deserve respect at all. And your wife will not always feel lovable, but we've gotta be willing to love and respect even when it's hard. This is what you committed to when you stood up on an altar. You committed to love them. To love them. To sacrifice for them. Let me let me tell you this. Let me tell you this. Most most women have no problem submitting and honoring. Submitting to and honoring a man who sacrifices himself for her. Who literally lays down his life. Whatever you want. Whatever you need. How can I help? How can I serve? This ain't like the Godfather like oh you just you 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 like kiss the ring and submit to the throne and all that kind of stuff. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about it's easy to submit to someone who loves you, respects you, cares for you, protects you. So men, we got to step up. A lot of times this gets preached like oh women you got to no no no. Men, we got to love women as Christ love the church and gave himself up as a sacrifice for her. If you're in the dating game, that's what you're looking for, women. You're looking for a man that does that. I don't care if he's good looking. You'll get over that. he will I mean, he'll stop being good looking in a few years. Don't worry. He'll have a few kids, he'll have a beer belly and it'll be over and it, whatever. But like, he will you'll still pay attention to that love. Find you a man that does that. Men, find you uh, guys who are, who are looking for a wife. Find you a girl who encourages you and lifts you up. I'll close in prayer. I'm going to do what I did last service. I'm just going to pray over marriages for a second. And then uh, and then we're going to close in worship. Heavenly Father, I pray over each person in this room, especially those who are married. Pray for those that are on that crazy cycle, that are just in a place where it's like, I don't, man, I don't know. This is this is too hard. I don't want to do this anymore. Lord, I pray for, man, I pray for for love and respect to come out of that marriage. That you, you would help them by your spirit get back on that healthy, energizing cycle. Give us hope in hopeless marriages. Heal us in broken marriages. Lord, I pray for men who sacrifice themselves for their wives and their families, like Jesus did for us. I pray for women that would honor, submit to, and respect their husbands. As if respecting, honoring, and submitting to their Lord. Lord, I pray for the marriages that feel like they're on the, the verge of divorce. I pray your spirit would intercede, intervene, and bring about a miracle. And I pray that we would all, by the power of the Holy Spirit, live like you've called us to live. Be examples in light in the darkness. In your name. Amen. Thanks
0: again for tuning in to this week's podcast. We'd love to connect with you and hear from you on how this week's podcast impacted you. You can always connect with us through our app, Beach Church Jacks, which is found on the iTunes Store or the Google Play Store. And you can always go to our website, beachchurchjacks.com. Have a great day.